Hello and welcome to this Main Squeeze 30 for 30 edition of the Live from Lake Balfour podcast. As always, I am your host, Maddie Wasserman. And, you know, when we started the 30 for 30 series, this is the second installment in the series that we hope to continue all summer long. And to be honest, having this podcast here was a layup for us. I mean, you cannot write the recent history of Baco without discussing the Main Squeeze and all the stuff that guys like Smiley, a waiter of 04, Max Newman, a waiter of 06, just what they did for music at camp, starting Mountain Jam, and really just infesting Baco with a love of music. And of course, all that culminating in the origins of the Main Squeeze, the band. And this night in 2012, when they came back to camp and performed in front of Baco and Chanala in just an electric atmosphere, that was just the culmination of everything and truly the apex moment for the Maiden Squeeze at Baco, and when they came back, just an incredible night filled mem- with memories, and I thought it could be told best by the people who were there, so not only are we going to have Greg and Danny here, we're also going to be joined here in a few minutes by Smiley and Max, the uh, piano player and guitarist for the Main Squeeze, and a special guest appearance in the middle by Corey, who is the lead singer for the band, so I really am looking forward to this episode, it's going to be jam-packed, we're just going to be telling stories and just having a good time reminiscing one of the great nights in recent Baco history so I hope you guys enjoy this one all right guys so what I want to start with here is Danny I want to address what you said in an email when we were talking about this podcast before we did it you said this was the greatest moment in Baco history do you feel that's a hyperbole you saying that or do you really think that this is so epic of a moment when the main squeeze came to Baco that is the greatest moment in Baco history it's Probably okay. The only qualifier I will give it is of my 30 plus year Baco history, otherwise, it is dead on. And you know me, I am sports, basketball, intercamp moments, Olympic moments, music. You know, it was always Uncle Greg likes or Uncle Danny likes sports, Uncle Greg likes music. But all that aside, this was the most epic evening in the Baco history that I know. Um, And that is a large, large statement. And I think we'll talk about why throughout the course of this podcast, but there was something different in the air. That sounds like hyperbole, but literally things were, it was different than any other event. Um, It it was surreal. It it was surreal and I'm sure we'll get into it. I I, I wanna add that uh, for those loyal listeners to this podcast who listen to us talk about pretty silly things in a very serious way, which is sort of the charm of this podcast. <clears throat> I think as you listen to why this night, that when the main squeeze came to, to Baco in 2012, I, I think when you hear why it was so special, you will put two and two together and realize why, you know, Camp Baco, Camp Chanel, for most of us, if not all of us, it's our favorite place in the world. So to take the greatest moment in our favorite place's history that's a special shine and i think uh i think those of us that were there whether you were as young as bunk four or the oldest senior staff member or even the guys even the band i think everyone was sort of on the same page and that's what made it so special we'll dig into the depths of why and how that took place right and i think to understand the full context of what made this entire day so special you definitely have to go back to the roots of it, which is Baco music and the evolution of it. And the two guys who went to Baco in this band, who founded this band, who we're going to have on in a few minutes, Smiley and Max, 
take us through the history of them with music at Baco and how they got involved with it and how it ultimately translated into the main squeeze. Well, the, the Warman family is a musical family. For sure. And, you know, anybody who's been at camp knows that. Um, I don't think we need to dig into that. That's just like an understood given. So music at Baco Chanel has always been a very important part of the program. I think it goes in waves. I think historically it was like a big deal, but before my time, and then it hit a lull and it would come back and hit a lull. Talent shows and big shows were always really special. But uh, Smiley was a waiter in 2004 and became a basketball staff member in 2005. I remember picking him up at the airport at LaGuardia for the first year counselor meeting. He flew in from Florida. And I picked him up to drive him to Bob and Barbara's house for the first year counselor meeting, which is how we used to do it. And the guy flew in from Florida for the for a half hour meeting, which is pretty cool. And he told me in the car, he was like a 16 year old, 17 year old kid. He's like, yeah, I'm doing well in school. I'm looking at colleges, but I think I want to be a touring musician. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Well, you're a basketball counselor. So, you know, good luck. And yeah, I remember I, I was Smiley's waiters counselor. Um, obviously, you know, watch him grow up from, you know, bunk four or six, I think, um, you know, he came from Florida and he, and he missed the first handful of days of his waiter summer. Cause he was in some sort of jazz ensemble. I'm sure he, he could correct me on the, on, on the, on the details, but you know, I also had known him for eight years at that time and had no idea. Um, I think he played some piano and some talent shows maybe when he was younger, we could probably ask him about that. But I remember thinking oh that's weird miss something you're missing some of your waiters summer to you know travel with a band um but obviously we know why i mean <laughs> so he, he he was on the basketball staff for a couple of summers and then he he said to me and danny and bob and said you know i i, I want to be on a music staff i want to create i want to teach kids how to play music and i want to teach kids songs and he had this vision of the mountain jam and you know of course the Wormans were very behind it and he created this program from scratch and it wasn't on the schedule. He would look at the schedule in the morning and then find times when to put kids together in the music shack or on the amphitheater to practice. So then when, when Max Newman was a waiter in 2006, uh, you know, he went to college to, he'll probably give you the background, but he, he went to college to study music and he, he filled out his application to be a counselor and put tennis on the application. And so when he became a counselor, he was actually hired as a tennis counselor. But he like I think he might have lasted two days of orientation. Yeah, on, like he on during orientation he said, "Greg, I didn't sign up to be a tennis counselor." I'm like, "Dude, you you checked off tennis. I assume you wanted to be tennis." So Bruno, Bruno sometimes will take credit. He was like, "Max, you know, it's okay if you don't want to be on the tennis staff. You know, you can be on the music staff. Greg will switch over to music, and I'll I'll figure it out." And we used to, we basically substituted Max's spot on the tennis staff with what we call a rotating tennis pro. Which, which is which could be a whole, could be a whole other podcast. Which could be a whole other podcast. So Bruno sometimes takes credit for starting the main squeeze. You know, because so, he's the one that let Max off the hook. So Max is another um I think when Max was a camper he won uh a special basketball award, one of those uh coaches awards type thing. He was a basketball court rat also as he got older um in his uh camper days. And he still is very, you know, he still is a huge NBA guy. Um, both of those guys spent a lot of time at, at, at the courts. But, you know, I remember a talent show act in 2007 uh, when Max was a first year and Smiley was a third year in the social hall where they were 
kind of going back and forth playing instruments and it was the sickest thing and little did we know that that was just going to be the standard for the next handful of years um and then they kind of both morphed into you know just music staff and then the rest was history and we had an adult on staff named pete carp who was a drummer and they started playing shows at the garage on saturday nights and teaching kids songs for the, for the first ever mountain jam which was actually on the courts and they they took pride in their work they weren't just musicians that wanted to play music that kind of just you know taught the kids their priority was teaching the kids and when they were done teaching the kids if they had time to jam on their own or you know make music on their own or plan a set a talent show act or a garage set they would but they were they said they were very hard workers at a very high standard which is probably one of the reasons why they're successful in what they do now as you know global touring musicians and you know selling out clubs and playing festivals and and enjoying you know enjoying their experience doing it all right and we are now very happy to be joined here by two members of the main squeeze and bako alums max and smiley guys how you doing during the quarantine be good all things considered staying alive staying alive Happy to be doing this with you guys right now. All right, so as you guys know, this is the second installment of our 30 for 30 podcast series, and what we're focusing on today is the day in 2012 that you guys came to camp and performed as a surprise, and it was just an electrifying atmosphere. We said a few minutes ago, Danny called it the best moment in the history of Baco. So what I want to ask you guys is, What's going on in your careers? What's going on with the band in 2012? Just give us a little bit of context. Where were you guys when you showed up to Baco? Smile, you go for it, because my, my memory, I'm going to need to get back into it. Okay, so I, I, I'm not positive on the timeline, but I'm pretty sure that we were in between China and Bonnaroo, potentially. It was 2012. I think that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it was a crazy summer for us. Probably the craziest summer of our, potentially of our entire career. Uh, it was very early on. Um, we were just getting started in Bloomington and really not doing much touring at all other than in Indiana. But obviously with me and Max going to camp, we, we did one New York show, I think, before this. Um, and um, that summer, right before we got to camp, we were in this international battle of the bands in Macau, China. And we got flown out to compete in this competition, and we ended up winning the competition for $32,000 um, and bought a van, bought, made uh, our album possible, our first album. And you didn't just put the 32K on 7 over 7 under? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would have been a move, too. Um... <laughs> for charity! <laughs> for charity! Oh my god, I missed those microphone moments. <laughs> so, did you, so you guys, I remember knowing like ahead of the summer that you guys were booked to play at Baco, but it was like top secret. I remember we weren't allowed to like say, it was like a non-disclosure agreement. We weren't allowed to say. I think maybe a couple counselors knew, but I don't even think the staff knew until like right before. It probably went like through the grapevine, but... Um, yeah, the way, the way we delivered the news was... Um, you know, it, it was late. It was late in the summer. It was post Olympics. It was in that last sequence of nights. It might have even been the last night out. And um, some of the older counselors knew. And Jesse Corn and and Jay Pod were doing the um, 
it was a Saturday morning speech that morning. It was the service was in the social hall and they were doing the, oh, donkey basketballs tonight. And it was all like, there was a buzz in the air that some special event was happening that night. And we were trying to convince the camp that it was donkey basketball. And uh, that was like the cover story. But like the lid started to come off like right around that morning. Um, And then Greg kind of got it in front of the, in front of the camp right after services let the cat out of the bag. And it was like, it was like the camp literally won the lottery. It was, I mean, you would think that like the Beatles were walking in. It it was nuts. It was completely nuts. So let's go back for a second. Obviously you guys had just been at camp for so many years. Was it a joint idea? Like everyone knew beforehand, it was like an obvious thing to come back, but given how busy you guys were, you know, winning competitions and doing way more important things than showing up to play in front of 200 kids at Baco, like, how did whose idea was this and who really made this come to fruition like with the logistics and stuff i think i think that we were contacted by by bob right bobby yeah i gotta give bob all the credit there he was on it and um it wasn't hard to convince the band it was like it's where we came from it's like the fact that me and max started it and it's just this myth of like what is bako and you know how all of us know if you tell someone from the outside they still will never understand unless you actually step foot. And as much as you talk about it and you see, because I think we maybe did one New York show, and they're like, who the hell are all these kids? Like, how do we have all of these people at this show? And why are they, like, going so crazy for you? People just wanted to know in the band, like, what, where this came from and, like, what the deal was. I want to say this was actually our first summer out of camp. It was. It was. was. So all of your guys, like, former campers were just a year older, so... You guys knew everybody except maybe the Funhouse kids. I mean, you knew everybody there. Yeah. Right. And then I want to say, I don't know if any O4s were left as counselors. Maybe Pudge, but maybe not. Maybe Pudge, but no. then a lot of 06s. Yeah. Pudge of was O6s. there. I, no, Pudge was not there. So it was because it was 2012. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, I guess 2011 was, like, sort of the last summer for all of Smiley's boys. And then a lot of my boys went back. So, you know, but I mean, we were both missing camp a lot. And I mean, it was just an, an amazing way to like sort of get to go to camp that summer, but not. Right. You know? So you guys, so it was announced at services. The place went bonkers. It was like announcing that the Beatles were coming. And then if I remember correctly, and Danny, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you guys showed up around lunchtime and walked into the dining room. Like I have a visual of you guys walking into the dining room and it was like, you might as well have been running in with 16s trophies. The place went so crazy. And you had lunch, and then we were deciding whether or not to set it up at the amphitheater or the Superdome, and the girls were going to come over, and it was a little moist because it had rained that morning. So we set up in the Superdome, and the way we planned to set it up was the stage was at the window looking out towards the lake, and your backs were to the lake, and the kids were looking out towards the lake. So for anybody that needs a little geography... That's how it was set up. <clears throat> now, one thing you guys probably don't know, um, I know Danny knows, then Maddie, you don't know, and Max and Smiley probably, you guys can imagine, disciplining the counselors and organizing the counselors for an event like this is the hardest task. Because, you know, if it was a, a club show or you guys were playing at the garage, which we'll get to later, the counselors would be going crazy, having the best time ever, dancing, singing, but they were at work 
And I remember clearly having a meeting with the staff explaining to them, this is your opportunity to give back to the kids. You guys already know the band. You guys are friends with these guys. You're going to see them on tour. They're going to come to your college town. You're going to see them at festivals. You got to make sure the kids are supervised. And to me, that was the hardest thing. And one of the reasons why the, the night was so magical. And I'm sure Danny will get into how that worked I, out. I think, I mean, I would love to hear what you for what you guys saw from your side being counselors like the year before, but those events are always the hardest to be counselors for because you want to enjoy it yourself as a 20 year old or whatever. I've never seen, and this is part of like the surreal part, Maddie, when you were asking me, you know, is this really the best moment in, you know, in, in camp history? When that bell rang to show up for the bunk check of the counseling, every single human in camp was already sitting down. That never happens. Um, whatever the counselors were told and, we talked about making like basically a force field in, in case the kids like in like a semicircle in front of them. The counselors did it. I've never seen everybody so locked in on one purpose at that place in my entire life. No stragglers. Everybody zoomed in. So I'd like to know what it looked like from your side. You know, the the moment of entering the dining room was insane. Um, I mean, I've heard that dining room when you win tournaments and when it just uproars and I've never experienced anything that loud before and it was crazy. Um, wait, there's a chance that we maybe entered through the social hall or I'm just like... Um, I'm remembering that too. I, you know, you guys did it three times. You came the next summer and then two summers later. So I do remember you entering the social hall also. Maybe that was it. I don't remember which one it was. I, I remember both and I don't remember which one was which. Um, but yeah, we weren't that far removed from camp, which made it really exciting and fresh and we had gotten like texts or like little emails or calls saying that everyone in camp is listening to Dr. Funk or Wake Up or all these like songs that we were just like that's insane because we know I know what it's like to hear a song of the summer be blasting out of every bunk during cleanup and just to know that that was happening behind the scenes was really cool. <laughs> and you know, I, I, those those sorts of performances at the Superdome or in the social hall or the amphitheater or the Fourth of July show, it's always a sound issue, and there's always you know, oh, it was too loud over here or too you know, feedback or whatever. I remember the sound that night being perfect. And that was like you guys happy with it? Were you guys happy with like collective memory? Because I don't remember it being perfect, <laughs> but if, I mean, we definitely all rose to the occasion. Like I remember actually. A, a situation with the PA having to run over all over town and stuff to get like there was like one guy in town who could supply a PA. Smiley probably remembers that better than me. Yeah, I booked this guy from I think like George, um, and obviously there's no cell phone service. It's a disaster for this guy. But he came rose to the occasion. It was before we had a sound guy, so we're just like hoping for the best with this guy. He got there really early. Bob was coordinating the whole thing and. It was a headache for Bob a little bit because this guy needed to know all these questions. And eventually, it, yeah, it all worked out. Um, and uh, the sound—it was just so loud with the camp, with the campers. That was probably the biggest problem. Was like as loud as this amplification of the sound system was. The 
the actual humans were like twice as loud it felt like and what do you remember yeah. about you know the other guys in your band like because i know at least for me when i talk about bako with my friends it's like oh bako like you know talking about it all the time but when you actually get up there and experience that what was that like for them and what do you remember them thinking like because i don't know i mean they could have expected can't to be the greatest thing and they still might not have expected what they actually got right. that day right i definitely remember ruben's reaction like like going into the dining hall and like people exploding and like he would i just remember him kind of turning to us like what the hell is this place you know and and like smiley said even before there was there was an energy in the air because bagel people would always show up to shows and they would always come out of the woodwork and they would show up at you know for like the big party weekend at at iu and you know like there was always just ramblings of of bagel if it's part of your life, you, you're always talking about it. So, I mean, they already knew about it to that extent. So it was a really great gift to me and Smiley to be able to actually show it to them and for them to sort of feel like they were going to camp just for, like, that one day. I think, if I remember correctly, I think you guys uh, gave them all, we gave them all bizarre shirts, and so... I don't know if we did that year, but, but we started doing that the other couple of years. I think no, Corey wore his shirt. Corey wore an 04 Bizarre, like yeah. triple X. 04? 12. No, 12. Not 04, 12. No, I Steve wore an 04. Echo 30 for 30? Yeah. Oh, Corey? Yo. How's it going? What's up? What's good? <laughs> What's up, brother? What's going on? Maddie, ask him uh, all right, so we're now very happy to be joined here for a surprise appearance here by the lead singer in the main squeeze, Corey. So what I want to ask you is, as someone who... How's it going? So as someone who came to Baco, not obviously... I mean, you'd heard about it forever from the guys who obviously went to Baco, but you, what could you have expected before you went to Baco the first time and saw what that atmosphere was like? Honestly, honestly, the... F- I had no idea what to expect. I never grew up with like a camp thing at all. So like I was blessed to have, I have a really core group of friends that I've known since we were six years old. They're still my, my boys to this day. So it was like, there's, there's a group of seven of us that we've grown with and we kind of added like a couple as we got older, but it's about seven of us. So I've had that kind of camaraderie, but never on that level. Um, so I had no idea what to expect. I'd like been to a couple of camp sites, but not like during camp. So it, I had no idea. So when I got there, I was like, my first thought was, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And then when I rolled in, we rolled in and like just saw you guys. It wasn't, I think you were, everyone was down by the fire. There was like a meeting going on, right? Like some sort council of council ring, right? Okay, yeah. yeah, a ring. Okay, so council ring was going on, and I was just like, I just immediately was just like, this is so sick. Like I know, like I get it now. It was like just seeing that was just like I think we walked into the cafeteria and someone was like getting stuff ready for dinner or something, and it was just kind of like I get it. I instantly like understood it. Like you, right you, you lost you lost your phone that day. I, remember. I did. I lost my phone. <laughs> Obviously, which I I do quite often, but <laughs> not as much now as I did back then. But I definitely lost my phone. Corey, do and you then going up to that gym, I remember the gym too because I was like, yeah, like, we were we were shooting around for a little bit during sound check while everyone was running around. Do you remember if we went into the dining hall when they were eating dinner that summer? 
That I think that was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we sat down, right? Like at the end, we got. Yeah, and people just went nuts when we went. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty. I cool. think I, I I think the cool thing from like the people that had been in camp for the last seven weeks, you know, going into into that night was, um, you know. We obviously knew Smiley and Max, but Corey, like the whole camp had been hearing your voice for seven straight weeks, like on the courts, in the bunks, during cleanup. So and cool. then to bring you in with these two legends, these two heroes that have basically, you know, brought the Baco music program to a whole another level. It was just, it was like bringing in a superhero. And, um, <laughs> you know, and the, the concentration level and focus level of the group on the event was something like I had never seen before at camp, not at any Olympic sing, not at any tournament game. The whole place was on one page, just literally like dying to hear what you guys were gonna do. And so it, wasn't just so much, it wasn't just so much that we had this incredible band with the, and, and they were able, Smiley and Max were able to share such a special place of, from their childhood and their young adulthood with Corey and Ruben, and I think it was Jeremiah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it wasn't just that. It was just that you know, like Danny said in the intro, Max and, and Smiley are two of the nicest. Forget about their musical chops; they're two of the nicest guys that you'll ever meet. So it was just so great to have like our family back home with their family too to, to share, you know, to share the love. And it was it was like like it always is with Max and Smiley. You don't see him for months or a year, and when you see him, it's just you pick up right where you left off. And I clearly remember watching the kids at the show and the counselors doing their job perfectly and thinking to myself, it reminded me of when you see those old, that old footage of the Rolling Stones and like the black and white footage when like the girls are always like, ah! they're all wearing the same thing and they all get the same haircut. It's like yeah. 1965. Yeah. It looked like that. But then after the show was over, Max immediately went over to his, his former campers that were a year older and immediately just starts doing his beatbox thing with him as if like he's on OD for them later that night. <laughs> he was just off, man. He was hanging. And then we yeah. had a late night jam too, which was also cool. Yeah, yeah so let's get into that a little. So you have the mayhem and just the exhilaration that was the Superdome where, as you said, Greg, the counselors are all doing their job. But then the counselors got the time to, you know, be the audience members themselves. So you guys go to the garage after. Do we know, was this a Saturday night where everyone was in at the garage? It was garage? a Saturday night. This was a Saturday one, night, yeah. One thing that needs to be understood is in addition to, to for, of Smiley and Max teaching kids at camp music all those years and creating the Mountain Jam, bringing the main squeeze to camp, one of the other things that they instilled at, at camp was a was the morale on the staff, and they would play shows on Saturday nights at the garage, and because Corey wasn't working at camp, they needed someone to sing, so they would get, it was almost like an open mic night during those counselor years. They'd play at the garage, Danny would sing like, you know, uh, he would sing like, Man in the Mirror, or, 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 Otis Redding tunes, or not, not Otis Redding, higher. Uh, yeah, higher, higher, that's a good one. And I, w I would yeah. sing, like, the Southern rock tunes, and Weasel would sing songs, and Rosner would sing. and taught, I mean, they just got all the counselors and even the senior staff in, and what that does to the morale of the staff, and I was a full-blown grown-up and was still feeling like I was part of the staff in that, those Saturday nights, and they were so good at being welcoming and helping Danny and me get involved and getting counselors involved and waiters for talent shows like that that's not nothing you know that and that continues to today i mean saturday night at the garage is as good of a good of a hang as the counselors get 
And that night, I remember you got Goodman in on base. So you had a current Baco counselor playing base. And you, you know, you let all of us grab the mic, man. I I, I think I sat in on maybe one, two. That was the coolest part about it was just watching, just being a part of it. And that's my thing. I like to – it's cool to observe, man. You learn You learn when you can sit back and just kind of take it in. It was just a cool experience of like – That's a great idea. It was was, available. It was awesome to participate in, but it was just as fun to just let just let what happens happens and just observe and be a part. It was like it was, I want I want to go back to the actual show. Yeah, 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 for sure. It was the most. I know this phrase is thrown out a lot, but it was the most on point I've ever seen the camp community be. Like the most on the same page, on point. Like I said, we were all on time. The counselors were all doing their jobs. Usually at those events, you have a couple kids that are pretending like they need to go to the bathroom or a couple kids that pretend that they're thirsty and they want everybody was locked in. And I just want to know what it was like from if you remember, I know you guys played at camp three times. Yeah. One was the one where your back was to the lake looking yeah. out. I know the next yeah. year you guys played in the corner and then the third time you guys played in the amphitheater. Outside. I want to hear from your point of view kind of what – like what it felt like from you. Because for us, it was the most special thing that ever happened. Yeah. Um, it was just, honestly, it was just, it was magical. Like, it just can, like, for me, it was like, I've always seen the squeeze of something that was, like, all ages, all colors, like, anyone can enjoy it. But to me, it was just, like, confirmation of that. Like, it was just so humbling to hear, like, like, these, you know, five-year-old kids singing Dr. Funkin'. Like, you know, like take Ebenezer, which like I remember vividly because that was one of the first squeeze songs I ever learned, right? So like it's like where did that come from? Like, you know, sitting on a you know, I'm picturing Smiley at camp playing and this bee like bothering him while he's playing and it like it just put everything just like it just it just gave life to all of that. You know, and I, like I you're reading a book and all of a sudden you're in it. Like, you I, think know, that, so. I think this was the show when, when Max channeled his inner Jimi Hendrix and instead of doing the Star Spangled Banner, did like a Baco alma mater. Yeah, right? that's right. Oh, that yeah. was so awesome. Yeah, the Baco alma mater. <laughs> just like on a solo, though. It, wasn't even, it was just you. I don't even think right. they played. And was it Sir, didn't Servants ride with us for this, too? Servants? Uh, Bob Cooper, the first one. Was I know Karen was there. I don't know who else. I mean, I couldn't remember. My brother? <sighs> There was one where, yeah, there was one where Serwitz rode with us, and then there was one that was just camp, right? Those aren't all yeah. the same ones. I don't remember which one Bob was there for. I know that the back face in the amphitheater, I was, I was curious. Did you guys get any pictures of that? I was so curious about how that looked with the, like, scene. I'm behind. sure there's a million, I'm sure there's a million pictures on, you know, at camp, there's, there's a new camera policy. Oh, right. Right, there's only one person taking pictures photos. We post them on the website. Right. I'm sure we can get those. We'll probably dig those up in the archives. Dig them up, man. Dig yeah, them up. He does. And like, for us, as like, we perform at a lot of different venues, and the best aspect of a performance is when the audience is in it. So, from our perspective, if we play for 500 people and they're like worried about other stuff or they're talking to each other, then like that could suck to perform for that type of people. But to play for not only a group of people that are hanging on every word and singing every song, but also looking at the age group of who's out there, like for Ruben and Jeremiah and Corey especially, but both also for me and Max, 
because obviously it was very full circle for me and Max to see this happen. The first time was just insane. But for the other three guys in the band, like that's an ideal gig. Like not to mention it being like seven-year-olds in the front like dancing and it's like that's so cool to see usually at bad shows you try to find one person that's in it and then you focus on them because everything else could distract you this one like there every single person there was so in it and it was probably one of the best shows like i would have to say that first bago show was in our top five yeah, yeah. Top 10. it and was yeah it was so <laughs> so I, I was um, i was talking to my I was talking to my nephew today who's uh, was going to be a waiter this summer. Will be a waiter next summer. He, uh, I was telling him that we were going to record this podcast today, and he uh, he said, "I remember that show. It was 2012. He was in the Funhouse. He was in Bunk Five, and he remembers. And this is like not a. He didn't get the memory gene like Danny and I have, but he remembered all of it. I was in Bunk Five. I was standing next to Tater Todd. I remember how you know it was services that morning." And it was, you know, it definitely made a lasting impact on all ages of kids. And um, like Danny said in the intro, it was the most special night in the history of camp during our years there, which is a long freaking time. Wow. Yeah, my, my, my visual, I just had this visual where I was kind of like on the left side of the front looking back at the camp. And the two guys I always picture, and I think Max, I think these were your guys, Ethan is Roddy and Ben Crabtree. Was that the bunk that you had? Um, I did have. Those two guys. I had. I had Ethan too. I had those two guys were like front and center. They were a year before waiter, and I just remember them. Smiley, you just used this phrase, hanging on every word, and it was literally like the most important thing in their lives was coming to their doorstep, and they were seeing it at their favorite place. It was like all worlds colliding in the most positive way and i just have a visual of those two guys like knowing every word knowing every movement and it yeah. was like happening like paradise yeah. was happening it was it was incredible it, i mean that, it uh, was that you mentioned two of the counselors because one of my visuals is definitely adam greenwald just the consummate professional like just controlling his emotion because i knew he was i mean he was so happy and like and he was up front because i think he was probably head of the fun house or the whole it was he was yeah, he was a group leader i think he was probably in charge of the k house that year okay well then i mean he was a big he was a big dog for sure I, yeah i thought he might have been um like the whole youngest division i can't remember maybe that was 2011 but i just remember him like on crowd control but just like couldn't hold back like that he was beaming but he was just kind of like trying to keep it together and keep kids like from you know losing it but uh, Ethan and Roddy was a definite memory too because Ethan and Corey had a moment yeah man just like thinking about those two characters Ethan at his age and Corey just picturing the two of them next to each other is just an amazing like just vision in the first place he had the best show he told me he had the one line (laughs) probably have to edit this out but his one line he came up and he like screamed and he's like, "Live for this!" <laughs> it was the best. Like, well, I mean, I, ho- I mean, you guys will be happy to know, and you won't be surprised. Your music is alive and well at Baco and Shinawa. Um, it's you hear it during cleanups. It's funny. This morning, I was this morning. You know, like I wanted to get in the main squeeze vibe, so I was listening to all the songs, and like every song came on, and I just pictured myself like sweeping for some reason and dust panning like i don't know why i was just like like every time like i just naturally like 
when I heard the song, I just thought of a broom. Like, it's just like, literally like, I think every cleanup in my entire camp career, Main Squeeze was in the background. That's you remember great. that summer. I don't know if you know this, but the Main Squeeze also played the coach's wedding. The coach and Marie's wedding. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that summer, um, 2012, which was your first summer not in camp, Max Smiley, um, the waiter shirt was a playoff of the main squeeze. And I, I forgot. I forgot what the slogan. Uh, I think it was like uh, "We got what you need." Or That's actually the shirt you were, Max. You were. That was no, actually that the was shirt the you were wearing shirt, right? in the that picture. The I think. I was, yeah. So I had that shirt and I and I lost it. Shocking. We got we got what you need for sure. And in that picture, I think Max is wearing it. Yeah, yeah he is. Yeah. I, lost I think it. we dressed oh, you guys. Yeah. I think the waiter sent you guys the shirts, but um. You know, Maddie, who's just talking about how, you know, he sweeps and dustpans this song, he didn't spend a day in camp with you guys, and he wasn't around for, your, you know, this night. Um, and here's a Baco guy who's, you know, who's, you know, fully drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, he saw you guys 2013 and 2015, but it's crazy. And that day, I know it was still young, and, you're, you know, you guys were still young in your career, but... And it was surreal. It was on point. It was together. It was, it was, it was so special that when magic. you came back in 2013 magic. to do your show at the Superdome, even like it wasn't even a discussion. We had to do it in a different place in the Superdome because, well, weather was an issue, I think. And we just, we knew that we couldn't try and recreate what had happened in 2012. And that's really why we put you more in the corner. Maybe there was a sound issue also where you wanted to be in the corner. But we... I remember being like, okay, now we're going to like remember the difference because it doesn't matter how good 2013 is and it was special, nothing can touch 2012. It was, it can maybe come near it. It can maybe also be a memorable Baco moment, but that was. Well, you know what it's like, you know, like when I'm thinking about why at the beginning, Daddy, you said this was the greatest moment in Baco history. Like the reason why I'm thinking it stands out so much this because it's the first time right olympics happens every year right you get all these things that are so special they happen every year but like the main squeeze coming to bake up for the first time does not happen every year you don't get like an actual band coming like professionals not just like people messing around well, Battersby every year battersby came for uh Melrose's 40th anniversary back in 88. I think if, 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 if Smiley and Max weren't, if Smiley and Max didn't burn rubber the way they did teaching kids music during their time on staff, and if Max and Smiley weren't such nice guys, like if they were like bad counselors who didn't really care about the program and like were kind of jerks and like pompous guys that were like trying to make it big on the music scene and they wanted to come back and we were going to pay them to come, it wouldn't have had that, doesn't matter how good of musicians they are, and they're great musicians, the fact that they were such nice guys who cared so much about the program and so much about teaching kids music, that was also part of it. It's not like the kids were just looking at these awesome rock stars, they were looking at awesome rock stars that cared about them. You know, when there's Roddy or Crabtree, or I remember my, my visual was Clyde Press and Tater Todd, it was like they were at Woodstock and they were like eight years old. And, and it wasn't because of, of just the music, you know, it was because of who the people are and what they had, how much they cared about their experience at camp. That's the, that's the magic as it always is at camp. I think, I think there's an element of the, that camp created the main squeeze too, you know, I mean, it's, you can't overlook it. It may certainly made Smiley and myself 
who we are and musically you know i mean that's first of all it's where we met right that's where it all started that's where we started jamming for the first time you know i got turned on to a lot of different music at camp that you know smiley was already hip to but probably he got hip to at camp and you know all of my first experiences playing live music in front of people were at camp they were either you know out um like either at the garage or over at Sporty's near camp. And, you know, I was like 17, 18 playing my first, you know, live shows and or playing in front of the camp. That's how you know, Matt, if you're, if you're crediting Baco with, with the, you know, giving birth to the main squeeze, I think Bruno would argue with you and say he is the one responsible because he let you leave tennis staff that year to be on music staff. <laughs> I will give him that. I will absolutely give him that. Um, I was, yeah, I was a fish out of water on that, that tennis court. Now, one of, one of my take-home, you know, Jen Friedman, who's the camp mom at Chanawa, didn't watch you guys grow up. You know, she was on the other side of the lake. You know, she has daughters that, you know, you guys might know some of her daughters, but... I have a visual or a memory of her after that show and who knows how much main squeeze she had listened to, but I just remember talking about it was the most special thing. And here's someone who knew you guys completely differently and probably saw the event completely differently than I did. And she was like, that was the greatest moment I've ever seen in camp. And that's someone who went to Shanawa in like the seventies and is a parent and is an employee as far off as what I am. I mean, she has daughters, she's, you know, she's been there in a different era, and that's the way she saw it also, and that's the way my nephew saw it, who was in Bunk 5 also, and that's the way I saw it, and that's the way you guys saw it, and that's what bring. I mean, that's why I think Maddie, back to the beginning, it was the most special moment in Baco history, at least the history that I know. Um, I, I remember that you could feel the energy, like, as you were driving in, like, it just felt like you know like when stuff like that happens you can literally just i'm a true believer that like all that energy like you can feel it you just pulled up and you just knew that like oh man today is gonna be a beautiful good day and like no we wouldn't the squeeze would not be here without without camp bago i i I believe bob was the one that introduced the band right greg yeah yeah oh yeah didn't you make bob do that I was just going to talk about Bob for a second because I was just thinking about how much he was smiling and how happy he was. And it's a tough job that he does. Everyone knows that. Um, just uh, but every every one of these events is just it's a liability, and it's hard for him to enjoy them truly. And he truly enjoyed that entire night. And yeah, he introduced us. I don't remember um, how that happened. I probably joked about it with him. I was like, "All right, you want to?" Did he sit in with us too? At the, uh, at the wedding, not at the, at the wedding. At the coach's wedding, he played use. He played Bill Withers' "Use Me" with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, maybe I'm just combining other shows that my band jam. Did he play the second one? He may have done the second or the third one. He might have. Like, I remember. You know what he did the, yes, yes. I think he, he did, did the one at the amphitheater. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he was just having an amazing time and. He's the one that made it happen too. Like he's, he's just so proud of you guys. You know, it's yeah. like he, he if anybody knew what it's like to try and figure out the music business and, and balance camp with music and life with music, it was it was him and, and he was just so proud. Uh he always you know, he's always proud of you guys. Always and so I just remember he walked he walked up to the front of the Superdome and he just very simple simply says, Bake on Chanawa 
I give you the main squeeze. And, you would, and you would have thought, like, oh, my goodness, the roof came off. What a special night. What a special night. Oh, man. So good. Yeah. yeah the, whole, the whole energy in that room totally unlike anything else you could i mean you basically could feel superdome shaking you guys have played every major music festival right. for the most part you've sold out clubs you've opened up for like rock and roll hall of fame type people you guys are uh, uh you know i mean you guys are my favorite guys band. my whole life when i go to see your shows like i gotta make sure i get my ticket or make sure i text you guys for like a hookup you know otherwise i'm not getting in so, I mean, you guys are in high demand, and yet it's so cool to hear you guys talk about this night kind of the same way that we do. That's, that, that makes it even more special. It, it couldn't have happened without the contribution and the, the genuine feeling of just what that felt like <laughs> for everyone. Um, yeah, Greg, was, Greg uh, he texted me earlier smiley saying that you couldn't find the set list from that night thinking that I would remember. The night was so surreal, I don't even remember the set list. <laughs> and I remember everything. I know. He was just like, Daniel, jog your memory. And I, I, I'm having so many things come up as this is happening. I feel like the Danny's favorite moment up until we played the Superdome was when, the summer before, when we did Man in the Mirror in the Superdome. Uh, it was 09. It was 09 when we did Man in the Mirror. That was the first year of the Superdome. Was that the one that uh, we talked? We talked about that on a yeah, past podcast that, right? when you opened the Superdome, yeah. like screaming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but this blew that away. I mean, even the garage that night where we did "I Believe I Can Fly." I mean, that's all. That's all junior, junior varsity compared to what, what I still listen to that recording sometimes. <laughs> it was better in person. It's yeah. I mean, that was easily like I was just thinking about that exact same moment. That was easily second place of Superdome memories for me, and just music memories at camp was that jump during the key change of "Man in the Mirror" performance. <laughs> Yeah, we had Spencer Corona doing background noise. You just jumping up in the air. Yeah, Spencer Corona, he killed it. He was great. And I was doing it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Always good to see Corey. Thank you for the YouTube shows. My wife and I have watched every second of both of them. Hey, awesome. Awesome. We hope to see you guys soon, man. We love you guys. Sure. Take care, guys. All right, thanks. We appreciate it. Great special guest. Yes, oh, yeah. great, great special guest. So you guys are awesome. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. This is the best call ever. We just got on the call, and this is we we we've been talking about doing this for months. Yep, and thank you guys so much as always for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back soon with another podcast. For now, I'm your host Maddie Wasserman signing off, and we will see you next time in the Live from Lake Balfour podcast.